Welcome to the Vegan Travel Podcast. My name is Jeremy. I am a traveling geographer, a uh, semi-nomad, if you will. I travel around by bike and other means, and I work as a bus driver in the times that I am not traveling, so I can save money to travel. Uh, It all fits together. Today, we have a cut from the deep archives of the Critical Transit Podcast. Uh, About three years ago, I sat down with a friend, Ian, in Chicago, who has done a lot of hitchhiking, and we talk about the experience hitchhiking around the country, about uh, finding food, finding rides, dealing with uh, crazy right-wing idiots, uh, safety, a number of other topics. Uh, We talked for about an hour about hitchhiking, and then we, um, a lot of transit in there, and we started talking about transit uh, after we turned off the recorder, so we turned it back on, and we had about another 20 minutes talking about transit in different places, including uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where he's from, and in Chicago, where we recorded this show. I was living there at the time. So we also are joined by Minku of the Vegan Pedicab podcast, and I don't think he's recorded one lately, but you can uh, find one if you go back a little while. You can uh, there are episodes out there, and it's good stuff. He is a pedicab driver in Chicago, who uh, just makes his living that way, and uh, he owns a pedicab, and he does food delivery as well, and he has a whole bunch of things, and he's also a um, very big vegan activist and. Uh, vegan scene in Chicago. He's doing a lot of uh, activism around uh, veganism and anarchism. So a great guy, uh, both great guys. So hopefully you will enjoy this episode and I want to hear what you think. You can find the website at vegantravelpodcast.com or email me, jeremy at vegantravelpodcast.com on Twitter at Critical Transit. You can look me up on Facebook as well. Uh, Jeremy Mendelson is my name. And I look forward to connecting and hearing what you would like to hear in the future on the show. Joined today by Ian, uh, who is from Phoenix, but he now lives in Chicago, um, and he's going to talk to us about um, traveling around without his own vehicle, uh, basically hitchhiking, and maybe some other things. Now I'm also joined by Minku, up in the vegan pedicab. He's back again. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, uh, so what's uh, what's going on today? Um, I wanted to bring you in uh, to talk about uh, your experiences with hitchhiking. I, I ran into you in the farmer's market a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were you were telling us about um, some of the adventures. And, uh, I think it qualifies as sustainable transportation because you're not creating additional vehicle trips, right? Yeah. Uh, basically, you're just using gas that would already be used. I also like to uh, sometimes get rides off of Rideshare on Craigslist. I think it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, Sometimes you can get lucky and find ones where they don't actually want you to uh, pay for gas or anything like that. Yeah, so that's that's really cool. Um, Where where have you done this? Uh, Where have I hitchhiked? Um, Well, I have hitchhiked from Phoenix to Pittsburgh from Phoenix to Chicago, from Pomona to Chicago, from Phoenix to Detroit, uh, from Detroit to New York, from Phoenix down to Puebla, and back up uh, through Texas. Um, And also, like, smaller, more local stuff. So you've been been all over. uh, Any particular uh, places that stand out? Um... Uh, places that stand out, probably Las Vegas, because it sucks. 
Um, <laughs> well, I always had a feeling that that would be a place that I really didn't care to go to. Yeah, everybody's going to Las Vegas and nobody's coming from Las Vegas. So once you get into Las Vegas, which you invariably will, uh, you actually have to walk about eight miles at least in order to get outside the city limits and then uh, be past a sound wall uh, because Las Vegas is pretty much surrounded by sound, sound walls, so can't really hitchhike there. Also, yeah, so you, um, that's basically part of it, right? You need to sort of be away from um, most of the activity because people are kind of like afraid, right? Is that... Well, uh, it's, it's a matter of, for, for one reason or another, pretty much every major city uh, surrounds their, their highway with, um, with sound walls or other devices to keep you away from them and uh, to keep you from getting on and generally speaking it is not a good idea to get on a uh, to walk along a major freeway in a city because uh, yeah you're either going to get arrested or hit yeah I wonder which one's more likely <laughs> probably the latter um, so yeah like, well, I mean there's, there's obviously some danger involved and it's not not always so easy to do it. What's what's your, what's your reasoning behind behind hitchhiking? Why like, why would you why would you do that? You can just hop on Greyhound. Um, Greyhound costs me money. Uh, <laughs> hitchhiking doesn't, and also Greyhound sucks because you're you're stuck in those vehicles, uh, breathing the same air over and over again. You're lucky if you get somebody to talk to, um, and if you do. I don't know, it's usually not all that good, though I, I did luck out once. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm a little afraid of encounters with people in, in vehicles, you know, I'm a little worried that, um, you know, people are going to just, like, be just dangerous drivers and just, like, be horrible people to talk to. Well, I mean, that's pretty much what daily life is like. <laughs> people are terrible drivers, and, yeah. and uh, you know, and... Uh, boring to talk to so you you know you're not going to expect any more or any less from a, uh, from a driver who picks you up as a hitchhiker that's why I'm not talking at all I'm so boring oh. <laughs> I figure I might as well just not talk you've just yeah. been sitting around driving his penny cab all week like who, uh, who does that yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah well I'm talking about petty cabs later people are trying to hitch rides on my petty cab <laughs> yeah I'm not paying um, so, um, you know, what's what's it typically like when you you know get in the car with a random person, or, or how do you how do you do it? I mean, you just stand on the side with a sign, or how uh, usually I don't use a sign. Um, most a lot of people I know um, say that signs are the way to go. However, I can say two things about about that. One, uh, I've traveled a lot faster than those people who say that signs are the way to go. And two, um, the only times I've, the only time I've actually ever gotten stopped for actually hitchhiking as opposed to something like uh, walking along the side of the road or something like that was when I was using the sign. Um, basically, 
most cases, what you do is you just set yourself up at an entrance to the freeway going the way that you're going, or at the highway going the way that you, you want to go, and uh, pretty soon someone will pick you up. Um, usually if, if it takes me more than like 30 minutes, which it doesn't usually, sometimes I just wait 15 minutes, uh, and I, without a ride, you know, I just start walking down the, the freeway or the highway, you know, if there's, if there's space for me to walk. Um, yeah, and then I, I only move away from it if uh, police, if the police tell me to. Right. Um, you had experiences where the police show up? And- yeah. Um, it is illegal to walk along the highway in, in California. Nevada and Illinois, I know that for sure because I have been stopped from doing it in all three of those states. I assume it's similar to pretty much everywhere, and I know that there's there are a handful of western states where you're actually allowed to bike on these on these freeways mm-hmm. um, for certain places where you know where there's no alternative route. And I mean, I assume those places you'd be able to walk as well. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was generally prohibited pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, you can you can walk on any area, like for sure any area that is not uh, caged in on the edges. Uh, barbed wire doesn't count. If there's barbed wire, uh, you can you can still walk within the, the freeway area or the highway area rather, not freeway. But um, yeah, um, I know that the, a lot of people will claim that that hitchhiking is illegal in their state and um, it really isn't in most states. It's uh, it's the only states that I know actually have it on the book and I'm sure there, there's more than this and I just don't know it are Illinois and uh, Arizona. And Arizona, I've never gotten picked up. I do have a friend who is picked up for it, but usually if the cops see me, they just kind of drive along. You mean um, picked up, you mean like by the police? By the cops, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in Illinois, I actually got stopped. That was the one time I ever got uh, stopped for actually hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. So, um, but other than that, I don't know anywhere where it's actually uh, illegal. It's interesting because, um, you know, it's, that, that's certainly the, the myth that, it, or the, certainly the perception, whether it's true or not, that it's illegal to hitchhike and, you know, it's dangerous and whatever, and, and, and you know, authorities will try to discourage it. Um, and at the same time, you know, all these states, departments of transportation and, and others, you know, like to like to call them the, the transportation cheerleaders, you know, they're trying to promote, like, ride sharing and carpooling and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, okay, it's sort of the same thing here. <laughs> it is the same thing. Yeah. Well, um, hitchhiking is thought of as dangerous because actually during hitchhiking's heyday, there were a lot of people who, who actually uh, died while hitchhiking. As far as I know, there has not actually ever been a reported incident of a hitchhiker killing or harming in any way their, uh, the person who picked them up. Um, I mean... Back in the heyday of hitchhiking, though, it was very common for hitchhikers to get to get killed. But 
that didn't deter anyone from hitchhiking, so... Right, and that was, what, like, the 60s and 70s when that was really popular? Yeah, um, I mean, uh... Well, why, though? Like, why was that, why was there a heyday? Why was there a heyday? Well, I think it, uh, as what I've read about it, it's because, um, a lot of people were coming back from, uh coming back from Vietnam, etc., and it's a really common thing for, um, for ex-military to, uh, to hitchhike, and therefore around then it was, well, also a lot of people, more people had cars then than in the 40s and 50s, and, um, yeah, it was considered a patriotic duty to pick up, um, to pick up hitchhikers because they might be they might be military, and they could also be dirty hippies. You're supposed to help veterans. <laughs> uh, they could be dirty. It was hippies. the '60s. You should help dirty hippies as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, the two things that happened in the '60s: like military and, and hippies. Yeah, um, and the women's rights movement. Well, that's hippies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, it so it was kind of like just, just you know, crying for help and nobody was listening. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Gutfrey. He's he. Uh, he talks about uh, hitchhiking and and hiding his hair so that he uh, he can get picked up more easily. Um, he said that that normals. What was it? He said normals will pick up freaks or normals, and freaks will only pick up freaks. <laughs> nice. Because normals will pick up freaks just to argue with them. Oh, okay, I see. Or I see. because, yeah. I'm sure you've had your fair share of, I mean, you know, you're going through the South, I'm sure you've had your fair share of, you know, getting picked up by, like, you know, crazy right-wing people. Actually, I haven't gone through <laughs> the South-South. I've gone through the, the Southwest. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, I did get picked up. Actually, my longest... I think it's my longest ride ever uh, was from a crazy uh, conservative guy. We, I traveled with him from, um, from Flagstaff, Arizona, to Troy, Illinois. Um, so You're talking that, about, what, like, you know, like 30, 40 hours or something? I mean, that's pretty long. Something like that. It was, yeah. well, it was two days... And, um, yeah, it was two days. He dropped me off, and he picked me up early in the morning, and he dropped me off late at night, and, um... It's a trucker, or It was a trucker. Okay. And, um, gosh, that's probably, that's over a thousand miles from, from Flagstaff to, to Illinois. Um... He actually, he actually dropped me off in in Troy because he was mad at me, um, <laughs> because he he had actually he he warned me that hitchhiking in uh, Illinois was was illegal, so he was going to drop me off in St. Louis, so so that I wouldn't get harassed from by the police, and then he ends up dropping me off in <laughs> Troy, Illinois, after we had. Like a long uh, argument. <laughs> like a George Bush fan or something. <laughs> uh, well, he was a Glenn Beck fan. Oh dear. Um, we actually listened to Glenn Beck and 
is it Sean? Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. Yes. My yeah, favorite the, radio commentator of all time. The whole time. The whole time. That was what we were listening to. Like, And I got in, and he asked me, you know, why I was going to... Um, why I was going to Detroit. I think it, I was headed to Detroit. Yeah, he asked me why I was going to Detroit, and I told him I was going to an environmentalist uh, <laughs> thing. Yeah. And he uh, he said, well, you're going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's, yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of these experiences too because, I mean, the truckers are you know, known for spending long hours on the road, like, mm-hmm. by themselves. And, you know, I mean, what do you have to entertain you? It's like, you know, right-wing talk radio. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, however, I think one of the... I've got to say, one of the truckers I got picked up with was definitely not right-wing. And now that I think about it, another one was definitely not also. Uh, my my last hitchhiking trip... No, not my last, but my second to last, something like that. Uh, I was picked up by a native guy who... Um, felt like it was his duty to pick people up because, you know, he's going somewhere so he should help people go where they're going and he was a nice guy. He was he was pretty liberal. Uh, and then there was another guy who believed that the government in all forms was out to get us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was he was a little bit a little bit crazy. He was uh, he was like Eastern European. I think the post office is out to get me. Yeah, the post office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just I don't know. It's just bad service, bad and so service. I don't know. I think they're the post office is actually talking plotting. about uh, discontinuing Saturday mail delivery, and they're actually. Mm-hmm. I was reading. Apparently, there. This is not really related to to transit that much, but I was reading recently that uh, the post office in 2006 was required by Congress to pre-fund like 75 years of its pension plan or something. So yeah, it's like that. So now they have no money, and it's like they would have plenty of money if it weren't for that thing. But but I also I'm also hearing that they do have money. I guess maybe because of that thing yeah. they don't have money. Yeah, but like it's either because of that thing or there's other. They're not. They wouldn't really be going bankrupt if it weren't for like you know other issues or whatever. Yeah, I mean since we're talking about the post office and, and transit, I mean <laughs> there is a link actually in the, some countries. I, I know in, uh, in in rural areas of the United Kingdom. For example, there are uh, what they call post bus, which is basically just a it's a service of the Royal Mail, the equivalent of the post office. Um, they provide mail delivery in these rural areas, and they um, instead of instead of doing it in like a little car or something, they do it in a van that can seat like you know five or six passengers or something. Yeah. And they they go from like you know to all these little rural towns like, and sometimes it's like you know once or twice a week, but it's like that's usually the only method of the only way you can get to these places. Yeah, I actually heard of um, people trying to organize, and this is kind of, this is kind of a pipe dream, and I don't, obviously it never happened, but people were trying to organize like an anarchist postal service once. It probably, and I'm sure people have like talked about it like a lot in like anarchist circles, like just like you know, if you don't want the, if you don't want a society with government, how are you going to get stuff to people? Right, or send it with yeah. That was one of the things <laughs> they were, they were going to use like those kind of networks, those kind of traveling networks to to send stuff. But like, 
you know, that's that that just just doing that would just be very limited. Like just thinking of the scope of like how you would um, transport. You know, goods is you know around the place, yeah, around the country. And I think the post office is one of the most efficient services that exists. Yeah, and, uh, and I like the idea of combining the two, using it as transit. Mm-hmm. Sort of like you know, we talk about hitchhiking is like making use of resources that are are already in use. Um, apparently, my partner told me that you can uh, um, send packages on Amtrak. Uh, and it's cheaper than, than the postal service or FedEx <laughs> or does a lot of times. Yeah, it depends on where you're going. Yeah, so I moved by Amtrak once actually. Like a, yeah. maybe a year ago when I moved from Boston to New York, I took probably I had probably about 20 boxes that I, and I didn't have any furniture that I was attached to, so I just I brought them over. To, I drove them over to uh, to the Amtrak station, and uh, yeah, just picked them up on the other end. Quite nice. Very nice. I had a question for you, and actually, uh, so you were mentioning, like, you get caught, like, truckers will get caught picking up hitchhikers. Um, like, does that mean that they get, like, if you're already taking a ride in a truck, do, do you get pulled over if a cop notices there's like, passengers in the vehicle, or do they, I don't know. Generally speaking, it's fine for for truckers to uh, pick up hitchhikers unless uh, unless their uh, their company says not to, um, or if uh, uh, if they already have a second person in the car because you can only mm-hmm. have two. You can only have as many people in the cab as there are seatbelts. And okay. most cabs only have two. Um, I think I probably said that to you when talking about uh, hitchhiking from from Mexico into the U.S. Right. Uh, because basically the truckers didn't want to didn't want to take me across the border or through any checkpoints because I. Uh, I might have drugs on me, or I might be undocumented, or something like right. that, and they mm-hmm. didn't want that to fall on them. So, um, especially if their company said they couldn't give me a ride. Yeah, you have some crazy stories about going over the border. I guess when you you said when you were in Arizona, you had to cross the border a couple times because of the way the geography is. Like it's more efficient to travel that way. Um, you said like people were like leaving you water up ahead and waving at you or some stuff like oh, that. Oh, this was that was coming back into uh, that was coming back into the U.S. through the Texas border. Um, yeah, so basically, people. What started happening at one point was people thought I was undocumented, so they kept on stopping. Um, get about you know a quarter mile in front of me. I thought they were stopping to pick me up, so I'd start running towards them. But they would like wave me off, like no, no, no. <laughs> and then they would like put down a bottle of water uh, and then get back into the you know wave and get back into their car. But then eventually, people started leaving me these bags, and you know they would yell like comida y dinero por tu. And then I would get up to the bag, and sure enough, there's food and money in there, and like usually like twenty bucks. And you know, through that, I had I had no money coming into the U.S. 
coming back into the U.S., but by the time I got to San Antonio, I had made $120 without asking anyone for money. Oh. Yeah. That's better than my record. The most I've ever gotten for uh, not doing anything is the $2 that I got uh, when I was working my pedicab one day. Yeah. Uh, I had these three girls that <laughs> felt bad for me because I guess they... Uh, I was going to give them a ride, but it was too much money, and then they eventually were like, oh, we'll take the bus. And then when the bus came, they handed me $2. Uh, so you did better than I... Than I <laughs> Once when I was... Uh, I actually... Um once when I was on a trip in the desert by bike, um, this guy basically forced me to take a hundred dollars from him. What? Yeah, he, he, he was like, he's like, here, here's a hundred dollars. I don't need it. I think you need it. You know, take it. And I'm like, no. And then he's he like lets go of it, and it catches in the wind, and it's like going to blow away. And of course, I grab it, yeah. and then he's like, you have it now. You can't give it back <laughs> to me. I'm like. Sneaky. And so then he got back in his car. I think actually that guy did, I, I did hitchhike with that guy, but only about, I'd say about eight miles. And that was, uh, I had my bike, my bike with me during that time too. And he took me up the, the Apache Trail. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming the bike makes it a lot harder. Yeah, it, it does sometimes. I mean, um... On average, it takes me uh, between an hour to two hours to hitchhike with a bike. Oh, wow. Whereas it usually yeah. takes between 15 minutes to an hour to hitchhike uh, without. Wow, that's a big difference. Well, I guess when you have the bike, you can always like just, I mean, if you have to ride it. Right. I mean, assume that's why you have the bike because you might want to sure. ride it. Sure. Yeah. However, the reason I needed to ride was because uh, I had gotten a flat. Oh. So. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You gotta get a patch kit, <laughs> Yeah. Well. Or you get a folding bike. Can you get a folding bike? You can just fold it up and. Uh, yeah. I can that my would bike be a lot easier to hitch with. Yeah, I can do my bike when I'm done with it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, you said you went through the border too. I mean, did you have any issues? I know. I know. Just going walking into Canada myself, I had like tons of issues with that. I'm thinking, you know, going coming to Mexico, just walking. Like, they must have knew you were yeah, up there. I I believe that it's it's actually easier to get into the U.S. from Mexico than it is to get into the U.S. from Canada. At least for a hitchhiker, because if you're coming into U.S. by foot, all you have to do is prove to them that you're a U.S. citizen. But if you're going from the U.S. into Canada, you have to be able to prove to them that you're able to support yourself for the entire time that you're going to be in their country. Right, right. So that means, I, I think it's something like, what is it, like $80? I, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily right on that, but something like $80 per day. Something ridiculous like that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like... You know, just just totally on the list. I mean, like my budget these days is about thirty dollars a day, and just you know, to obviously if you had eighty dollars a day, you could you could do a lot better. Um, you know, you could like get a nice room, nice uh, house, or whatever. But you know, it's it's like yeah, you don't need that, and so you have to you have to. They want to see that you're leaving. They want to see like return date, return mm -hmm. ticket, or something, and they want to see yeah the funds. It's kind of a kind of. An, I mean, it's a problem. You know, transit services too deal with this. I mean, we have um, you know. 
great. I mean, Greyhound gets gets stopped at the border. They actually make you get off, and, and when you're on the bus, they make you get off and like walk through the checkpoint. But on the train on Amtrak, they um, just stop the train and they have these the inspectors come through and like interrogate people on the train. And you can be sitting there for like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, on like, on bus they they the they come onto the bus and they just kind of uh, you know they check pretty quickly and then they get off. Okay. <laughs> so better than my experiences. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you want to talk about your experience on Amtrak. Oh yeah. So I took. This wasn't at the well, border, though, right? It wasn't at the border. Right. I mean, the one and only time I've ever taken Amtrak, so I, I figured, like, okay, I'll go. I went to the east because I, I live in Chicago and I, I have family and friends in the, on, in the east coast. So the last time I went there, um, I decided to take Amtrak instead of instead of a plane. Because I had some, I had some extra time, and I've never taken Amtrak, so I thought it'd be a cool experience. That's way better than a plane. Um, well, it's different. <laughs> it's different. I mean, a plane I, I would have gotten from Chicago to New York in like three hours or something, and um, Amtrak took like almost an entire day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, which it was. Okay, getting there, but getting back was terrible because, um, like, uh, there were just so many more delays, and it took more than 24 hours to get back, mm-hmm. which was annoying. And at some point along the route, I can't remember which state it was in. It was either probably Pennsylvania or Ohio. Like, um, the train was just stopped sometime in the middle of the night, and I, I was sleeping, and I was woken up, and there were all these federal agents, like, searching all around the train, you know, going to every car, talking to random people, and, like, they, like, they looked at me, and they talked to me, um, and they were just asking me, you know, about, like, my citizenship and all that kind of stuff, and I'm, like, telling them, like, what I'm doing, like, I'm just going from, you know, going back to Chicago, I live there, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted to, like, see, like, my ID and stuff. And, like, they just, like, didn't believe that I was a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Like, they just wanted to see documentation. Right. Um, we should say, they, they, you know, you don't look white. So basically, I was being racially profiled. <laughs> Wait, and, yeah, so, like, and, like, there's some white kid, there's some, some white guy sitting next to me. Like, you know, they just ignored him. Of course. <laughs> um, Maybe he's Serbian or... I don't know. <laughs> But anyway, and it's like a, it's not even a question of border. You know, it's just like you don't belong on your train. Yeah, like I mean, it's like I don't. I, all I have is my driver's license. Like, which oh, those are cats. There's a cat fight going on here. Yeah, <laughs> the cat podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's every time I'm on a podcast, there's cats trying to ruin it. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. So uh, they. All I have was my, my, my driver's license, and like, it's like, I don't carry my passport if I'm not leaving the country. I don't carry my birth certificate, because, you know, I had to explain to them where I was. I wasn't born in America, so, like, that's another problem. I born in Kenya. We haven't seen it. Right, so I'm trying to explain to them, like, my entire life story at this point. It's like, well, I was born in so-and-so, and I came to, the, you know, the U.S. when I was six years old, and blah, 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 and, and like, I told them where I went to school, all that kind of stuff, and, and then... They were, you know, they're pretty much satisfied, and then they're, you know, like, that I'm American, I guess. 
American enough for them to leave me alone. Um, and then there, the guy was just like, uh, well, you know, we've had uh, a lot of uh, instances of, of, like, you know, Indian, like, young Indian males, like, uh, stealing identities and making fake passports and things like that. That's ridiculous. Like, that's really, like, you're going to stop the entire train to, like, look look for the one Indian guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly. I do have, it's bullshit. I do kind of have a rule, though, that I, I try not to ever leave the house without my passport. Um... Because I never know when I may may end up in uh, another country by the end of the day, and uh, <laughs> and also um, I'm from Arizona, so my identification is not accepted in every state. Like uh, in New Mexico, they were actually threatening to not recognize uh, Arizona. Um, Arizona ID because Arizona was was saying it wasn't going to recognize New Mexico IDs because they allow undocumented uh, people to to receive driver's licenses. So <laughs> so I make sure stupid turf wars to that. carry around my passport. Also, yeah. I once was in uh, Spain and I left the house without my passport and was mistaken for a male prostitute by, <laughs> <laughs> by, by the folks there, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it sort of reminds me, we talk about this, the, you know, the, uh, this is something that we deal with in transit in terms of, um, I mean, not just, you know, I guess, in places I've lived, we haven't had federal agents coming on transit, but I mean, I know there are places that, that deal with that, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, in, in the places that I've been, the big cities that I've been, um, you know, we get, there's always issues with like suspicious packages and uh, you know we get to see something say something thing going on and it's you know um, I'd like to think that it's sort of helped and people you know can report like any random stuff but it, it's mm. so vague that when they first rolled it out you know people were calling you know people were, were basically racially profiling and they would call the police and they'd be like oh there's a guy who looks like a Muslim on my train it's like, oh, that's not mm-hmm. helpful. and then now it's like you get you know, somebody leaves a backpack on the train instead of instead of somebody picking it up and bringing it to the conductor, and the conductor's like, okay, I'll, you know, bring it to Lost and Found. Now it's a suspicious package, and they have to shut down the train or the bus for whatever half an hour and evacuate it, and they come out, oh, some guy forgot his backpack. Oops. We're yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's like it just makes people less likely to use transit because you have to put up with that shit. Mm-hmm. In Phoenix, they're, they're actually, uh, well, at least when I left Phoenix, there were um, ICE agents on the on the train on a regular basis like on at least a monthly basis i would see uh i would see immigration agents <laughs> yeah because i mean uh, you know with, with transit we were talking about that like, we have no no money for you know they're saying we have no money for anything and we're talking about like how war you know we, we have all these wars going on uh you know places we don't belong and everything and it's like well that's there's another thing like immigration all these uh immigration raids and everything else is going on it's like there's another place that we're wasting Money mm-hmm. on top of other, you know, I mean, obviously it's it's an injustice on, on top of that, but you know that's where you get getting your money to, to fund better transportation systems. Yeah. So, back to hitchhiking. Sure. <laughs> back to hitchhiking. Uh, well, I mean, there's tons of stuff okay. to be said about hitchhiking. Yeah, I mean, what, I'm interested in here, like what you know, based on then your experience, you know, what what there's some pieces of advice that you would have for people who. Um, you know, who are they're thinking about it, or you know, maybe have have tried it a couple times and okay. you know had trouble getting a ride. Um, well, one thing that I don't do myself, but uh, you know, for someone who 
has a less who is uh, less intimidating. I mean, not that I'm intimidating in any way, but <laughs> someone who is smaller in stature, uh, maybe carry a, a pepper spray on you just in case. I actually I have a female friend who had to jump out of a uh, a moving car. It was going like she said it was going forty miles per hour, and she had to jump out of the car because uh, she felt unsafe. Of course, then again, maybe pepper spraying a driver of a car going you know forty miles per hour or faster is not necessarily the best idea, um, especially when you're you know when you're in a contained area. But um, I actually, for self defense, I carry a I carry a metal water bottle uh, because if you have a metal water bottle sitting on your lap uh, people don't think anything of it and if you suddenly have to hit the driver with the water bottle it actually has really good uh, <laughs> yeah interesting and, um, and, and for you know for safety is it's one of those things that comes up you know all the time whenever you're, you're traveling by yourself yeah yeah um, I mean, I guess communication is, a, is an issue too, right? Probably, somebody should probably know where you are and yeah. somebody you can you can reach quickly. And just I I usually uh, just kind of casually will text with friends the whole time I'm gone. But um, I once hitchhiked with a uh, female bodied person who would take the take a picture of every license plate of every car we would get into. Then she would send it simultaneously to her boyfriend and her her father. Oh, okay. And, uh... I like that. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, they always knew where we were and what vehicle we were in, you know. She would say, oh, we got picked up in, you know, in this city uh, by this license plate, you know. Um, So, you know, that that was extra helpful. Um... So as far as, like, safety stuff goes, you know, that's great. Um, In general, though, yeah, it is always good to have somebody who's kind of your home base, who you can call whenever you need, like, a little extra help. Like, if you're lost or something like that. Yeah, Um, like a situation where you have to get on a bus or something and can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually... uh, there are a couple of things I always carry with me just so that I uh, I always have a place to go or something like that. Um, I don't really know how to better say what I'm saying there, but I always carry uh, my slingshot organizer because it will have the phone numbers and addresses of every radical space in whatever town I'm in. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so that way I can generally figure out, you know, where a place to stay and things like that ahead of time. Uh, I'll also um, make sure to, like, that's something something else I'll call up somebody for is I don't have any form of internet or anything like that on my computer. So I'll call someone and have them be my internet access and they'll look up the food not bonds in the town I'm coming into so I know that I'll have food. Um, and they'll sometimes, like, be me on couch surfing. And so I, if I need that, they'll get me a place to stay. Um, 
That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just make make sure you get those uh, vital needs taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the uh, just for people who who want to, who are interested in getting a slingshot organizer, if, if you don't have a radical bookstore in your town, <coughs> um, you can just go to the website uh, slingshot.tao.ca. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can order from them directly or, or find stores uh, that uh, that are selling it. And you can find a Food Not Bombs in any city in the U.S. through uh, um, through foodnotbombs.net. I think maybe that'll work. Uh, it's .net. It's .net, okay. Yeah. It's food.bombs.net. It sounded uh, a little unsure, sorry, what you said. No. <laughs> uh, oh, damn it, it's not .net. There's also... <laughs> I mean, you can use it internationally. Um, I use that to end up finding out that there is a Food Not Bombs uh, in Mexico City. I didn't go to it, though, because it was not on the day that I was in Mexico City, so I was only there two days while I was hitchhiking through Mexico. It is .net. And then you can link to air, you know, all the food now. Yeah, I just looked it up. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Don't, don't worry, I know about that. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you can Google it, and like, if maybe somebody else is like squatting the .dot com site, and like, they're I don't know. No, probably not. Well, speaking of squatting, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are also certain cities where you can uh, access like information about uh, homes, not jails, and things like that. Uh, so you can find a place that's been squatted and has been converted to to uh, folk. Um, what do you call communal it? spaces? Or yeah, you know, there, there's a word for it when someone yeah. when someone has a key for the place who's just like just someone in the community. Oh, okay, yeah. space like basically like taking uh, like vacant homes and just you know letting yeah. people stay in them. Yeah, so. Um, you know, there's there's homes not jails is good for that. Um, I also I don't know how accessible this is to the the public, but I know on Facebook I'm part of a uh, squatters network, um, so I receive information on squatting in different areas and things like that through Facebook. Um, yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, so, um, what other other advice do we want to say? I mean, you're one, one thing that's common to all three of us is, and I don't really talk about this on the podcast very often, but uh, I'm a vegan, been a long time vegan, and uh, as has Miku and Ian, I believe you've been vegan for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, how, how does that come into play um, for people with any kind of you know dietary issues? Or, um, well, that that's part of the the good thing about knowing where food not bombs is along the way. Um, also, a lot of roadside eateries uh, end up having vegan options and something that's come in a lot of handy in the short time that I've had it is uh, Dave Gunn who uh, does discomfort zines he came out with a zine called um, Fast Food Vegan which lists what is vegan (laughs) at all of the major fast food chains maybe not all of them but most of them uh, it also will list what's not vegan that you would think should be vegan at the places, and it'll tell you why. It'll tell you, you know, what um, what fast food restaurants use uh, um, 
use like pork in their in their fries and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also a, if you have an iPhone, there's an iPhone app called Vegan Express. Um, and Express is spelled just without the e in the, in the front, so it's just the letter X and then press. Um, that's I think it's only for iPhones. Uh, I don't know about Android stuff about that, but that's the same thing. They mm-hmm. they list uh, restaurant, you know, fast food places, chain stores, chain restaurants. Yeah, um, you can search for this kind of thing. I mean, I guess the, the what it comes down to is is just with any kind of traveling, it's just you know being prepared. You know, no matter what, no matter what you eat or don't eat, it's just like being mm-hmm. prepared, knowing what the knowing what the most likely outcomes are, and just you know um, knowing what you're going to do if if you have trouble finding. Yeah. to eat or people to, or you know money to eat with or whatever but another good um internet uh um reference to use is uh happy cow right. um, that's always really good because you can just type in uh whatever city you're coming up to and it'll tell you where all the vegan restaurants and uh vegan friendly markets and things like that are nearby and yeah it's always good Cool. Yeah, and people should be vegan because why would you want to hurt animals? Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> they're, not, they're not our property to use, and we need to, uh, you know, we don't need them. We don't need to eat them, so uh, let's, you know, not do that. Indeed. <laughs> um, I guess we, I don't know. Do you want to talk about uh, freight trains at all? Did, have you taken freight? I I actually have not done uh, freight trains at all. Um, I almost did when I was in uh, southern Texas because I was having a hard time getting rides because of um, the fact that we were still south of a of a checkpoint um, and there were a ton of um, train hoppers around there, so you know I would have had somebody show me. But the next train heading the direction I was heading. Uh, was not for a few days, and um, so I figured I'd have much better chances with hitchhiking. Yeah, hopefully you did. And, um, yeah. And, and yeah, that's um, something I, I really want to talk to some people about. So I'm going to try to try yeah. to find some people. Maybe Ian can uh, can give me some names after <laughs> the show that I can uh, you know get on the show and talk about train hopping. Sure. Um, Go to Spina Hobo Convention. Yeah, there is a hobo convention in, in uh, Chicago, I believe, uh, also one in Iowa, um, and uh, Chicago used to be known for the, the hobo college. Um, yeah, and there's, there's some really interesting books about hobo culture, and um, uh, like uh, the, uh, the Charles H. Kerr Publishing Company. Um, K E R R um, out of Chicago. Uh, I th- I, don't, I think they're still around, and they they've got tons of books. Well, they got a few books on uh, um, that 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 are about hobo culture, um, and like uh, also just a lot of books about like uh, the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, and a lot of hobos were were part of the IWW um, back right. in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's something I think a lot of us itinerant, itinerant workers, the word itinerant. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so like, uh, yeah, Charles H. Er- uh, Kerr Publishing Company um, has a bunch of books about that. Um, and there, there are some other ones. Uh, even like AK Press and PM Press, you can find some hobo uh, books on there. Sure. Cool. Yeah, and we'll link to all that stuff. Um, 
and, and you know, it reminds me that you know Chicago is, is really interesting in, in many ways, and um, one of them is that Chicago is kind of a hub for both you know passenger trains and and freight trains um, across the country, and it's it's I guess it's probably about a third of the way from east to west, um, but it's you know all the all the major train lines come through. Well, many of them come through Chicago. Um, you get uh, BNSF. You get uh, a whole bunch of others that I'm just blanking off the top of my head. I'm right throwing names out. Um, but yeah, it just it's it's got to be just really interesting uh, taking great trains. And um, today I, I took uh, Metro, which is the the regional passenger rail, and uh, you know I got to see a lot of freight trains moving moving along. And um, yeah, we should probably have a, an episode on freight trains at some point. Yeah, um, I was just. Earlier, I was mentioning uh, Dave Gunn, and besides the fast food vegan book, he also has another zine called um, called Pigeon Life, which is all about hitchhiking and uh, recreational homelessness, and that talks a little bit about train hopping in it as well. Uh, that's a really good resource, though I disagree with him on a few things. Uh, they're they're more or less trivial. Like he supports the use of signs, and I don't. Uh, he has an an Etsy shop. I think it's under the name Discomfort, and that's where you can buy any of his things, and they're really cheap. I know that the Pigeon Life one is four dollars, and the fast food vegan one is two dollars. And here in Chicago, you can get either of those at Quimby's. Cool, yeah. Um, if anybody's listening in Chicago, uh, if not, I'll put, I'll put links to all that anyway. Sure. Um, cool. I think you can get them like at like um, Blue Stockings and stuff like that, places like that. Right. Excellent. Yeah, and we're gonna. I'm gonna have to check that out, and I'm gonna have to keep a lot of this this advice in mind as I as I'm doing some transitoring and maybe in some sticky situations at, at one point or another. Be looking to uh, either train hopping or, or hitchhiking, even though I uh, I don't. I, just as a general rule, I don't get in cars with with anybody. So uh, you know, uh, I've had too many experiences, uh, too many scary experiences where uh, if I'm not driving the thing, then uh, I'm not getting into it. <laughs> so there's uh, um, that. Yeah. Um, have you done any bike touring? Uh, no. Well, no. No, right, I the think show. the correct yeah. answer is no. I have, uh, I, well, I, I biked from, from Phoenix to the Superstition Wilderness a ton of times, and that's about 100 miles. Um, but, you know, and, and, and back, and sometimes in the same run. Okay, just like camp out, basically. Yeah, I'll camp out in the mountains. Um, I used to live out there for a while, so... Cool. Um, what about you, Miku? Have you done any bike touring? Um, I sort of tried to, um, and then I tried to hitchhike, and they all both failed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got a car... Well, I got a ride share off of Craigslist, which didn't fail. Yeah, it was really cool though because I, I I was in Minneapolis and I tried to bike from Minneapolis back to Chicago a few years ago, and um, I was carrying a whole bunch of stuff. The you know, I guess the first rule is don't carry too many things. <laughs> yes. way too much. I had two bags on me. I had my messenger bag and then another backpack. Um, and then at one point I had just had to like dump a bunch of stuff, so I dumped some a bunch of my CDs. Um, and some other stuff and um, so there's that and then I 
I, I went about 80 miles, like, from Minneapolis and then down into Wisconsin, like, kind of along, and then down south along the river. Um, and, uh, you know, I slept, the first night I slept um, uh, in the woods out next to a freight train track, and then the second night uh, behind a sign at a historical marker, which is basically just like a, um, a rest stop. Um, and then um, I got a call from the person that, that I had contacted previously on Craigslist to get a ride, and we just couldn't coordinate schedules. And they were like, oh, we're leaving now, and uh, we can pick you up. And I was like, oh, I'm already like on the way on my bike, but yeah. you should give me a ride anyway because I don't think I'm going to make it. Because <laughs> at that point I was already just trying to hitchhike and right. just trying to, at least trying to hitchhike to the next town. Like that, like I was trying to get to like La Crosse, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so you say you just weren't prepared. I just yeah, because I wasn't because well the whole reason why this happened was like um, I was initially going to get a ride from someone from Minneapolis to Chicago, and he just disappeared, and that's a whole other story, <laughs> which I told Jeremy about this and it's hilarious. Um, so yeah, this guy just disappeared. I have never heard from him since, and. Um, yeah, so, like, that sucked, and then I was just like, well, I'm just going to bike it, you know? Like, let me just be adventurous and do this, and... But, I, yeah, I was, like, totally unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of just spontaneous and whatever, and so... Sort of the, uh, the, you know, the, the combination of, like, um, you know, use what you have and, like, go with the bike that you have or whatever, um, but then at the same time, it's like, you got to, you know, you got to put a little preparation into it, so... Yeah. Uh, but someday, I want to see you doing a, a big tour in a petty kit. <laughs> yeah, some well, somebody did do that. There was some guy who toured uh, the country on a. It was a Main Street pedicab, which they have. They make these ones that are. It's called a pedal pickup. It's basically a pickup truck, but a pedicab pickup truck. Like the back isn't like a carriage where people sit on. It's it's just this giant, you know, um, yeah, basket bed, trunk. Basically. Yeah, cargo. Yeah. So yeah, so he just put all this stuff there. I think he had a cover for it too. Um. Yeah, I mean, I want to get one of those anyway, just because I want to do, you know, I do, like, food delivery in my pedicab, but, uh, it, you know, having a carriage just kind of is not very practical. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm, I want to get either buy one of those Main Street uh, pedal pickups or um, just have, have, like, a, you know, a trailer built or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I... Uh, at one point in Phoenix, I remember um, there were some some folks who were touring, uh, like they were musicians touring via bicycle, and uh, I remember that was really cool. They were they were tugging their their equipment and in, in the back of of their bikes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, there's this photo that's that's gone around the internet, and it's like. It's a picture of this guy which who has basically like an RV, but it's a bicycle RV, like a pedicab RV. Wow. Um, so it's a, so it's a giant tricycle, and like you can, you know, the back of it just looks like a like a miniature RV, and you can like sleep in it, I guess. There's a guy um, in Portland. The owner's called the. He has a thing online it's called Builder by Bike. And he, uh, I'm pretty sure he's been on the Sprocket podcast, and he has. Uh, he just carries all his construction supplies. Everything yeah, I mean, I want to be able to tour around on my pedicab and sleep in it. You know, just put it somewhere and just, you know, go into the back and, like, 
the back could just be like a giant tent. Yeah. yeah. You could have like a little thing, like a little fold down thing where you just like, you know, like a little like um, basically the floor just like fold out too yeah. so you can have it extended and get a full size bed. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to pay for lodging. I mean, you know, that's, that's the big cost of traveling is getting somebody to sleep. And, right. Um, you know, and if you're camping, you got to carry the tent and all this gear and stuff. So. Yeah. Something cool. that I uh, I learned from from uh, hobos, from uh, train hoppers while I was uh, hitchhiking is um, to use a piece of cardboard to just, like, get a sleeping bag and grab cardboard out of, uh, out of a dumpster and... Uh, sleep on top of that and you're good um or like if you need to throw the uh throw a piece of cardboard on top of yourself too i usually what i would do uh is like i would put myself inside my sleeping bag tuck everything into everything so i would like tuck my pants into my socks and Mm -hmm. uh and my sleeves and to my gloves and stuff like that so and then I'd like cover my face, like I'd pull up my hoodie and cover my face with the bandana so that way absolutely no insects could penetrate my barriers. Uh, and basically if you do that, you're good. <laughs> I was wasn't in the mid- midsummer. Yeah. What's that? I hope it wasn't in midsummer. Cause <clears throat> it's fine in the midsummer. Just at that point I'd, I'd just lose the... Uh, the sleeping bag, and actually, most of the hitchhiking I've done isn't has been in the middle of the summer because uh, I uh, this is actually my first winter ever, um, at least since I was two. So, like, oh, because you right because you just moved to Chicago pretty recently. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, I lived in Phoenix before that, and so just every summer I would leave Phoenix and go hitchhiking and then I'd just come back to Phoenix before winter ever happened. Right. And, uh... You seem to be uh, handling it very well. Yeah, it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> people, like, people are whiny babies. Yeah. Um, That's what I say. Everybody from New York is, like, freaking out. Are you in Chicago in February? And I'm like, it's really not that bad. No, it's, it's not that bad at all. Actually, I kind of feel like winter in Phoenix is maybe worse. I'm not sure why. I think it's maybe because everything is insulated here, and in Phoenix, people don't, you know, weatherproof things as much. People hang out a lot more, you know, do a lot more socializing indoors and stuff in the winter. I mean, in the summertime, when when your when your AC isn't working, you don't exactly want everything weatherproof. (laughs) Do you want all (laughs) the air coming in, all all the airflow you can possibly get? Yeah, I mean that's like there are places in the in the south that don't have they you know they have air. I mean every place is air conditioning, but there are places that don't have heat. It's like up here, it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> it's like you know like most people have air conditioning, but not everyone, and you know it's not you don't really really need it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, but everybody if you don't have heat, like, I mean, like people die on the streets in, in Boston and Chicago. In the way people die on the streets in the summer in Phoenix. Right, right. So it's the same, yeah. same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I used to work at Circle K, and whenever somebody would like come in for uh, and ask for water, I would be like, "Yeah, you can take water, or we also have a Gatorade setting on there, and that that'll <laughs> give you your electrolytes, so you're welcome <laughs> to take the Gatorade too." Nice. Yeah, wasn't cool. supposed to do that. So, uh, should we wrap up? Oh my goodness, it's it's nearly been an hour. Yeah, I can't believe it. 
Well, we'll have to have you guys back on the show when I come back to Chicago. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some tips. I'm going to be calling you and uh, asking your advice. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, we're back. Um, Ian mentioned that he has transit stories, and I was like, okay, we have to, we have to keep recording. Well, yeah. Um, I, I actually, when I was a kid, I used to really be a transit nerd, so every city that I've been, I've actually made a point of noticing the different kinds of transit in the area and stuff like that. And um, in, in Mexico City, uh, they actually have a very peculiar sort of bus system. It's like all little independent like Volkswagen buses that that just drive around and hit all of the bus stops and take you, you know, sometimes far far distances. As I was walking along the freeway like early in the morning, I would see uh, people lined up, you know, all waiting in one spot. Uh, apparently for a bus that took them all to um, all to like the Volkswagen plant, I think it was, uh, because there was a Volkswagen plant not too far from there, so I guess they were all going to work. Um, and then also, oh yeah, in, in San Francisco, I guess they changed things recently, but when I visited, it was extremely easy for people to, to get onto transit uh, for free. Yes. And I've observed many people doing this in the little time I, I spent there. Uh, like, yeah. basically, all you had to do was hold up a transfer. It didn't matter what color it was, what day it was, what time it said, right. and the bus driver would be like, all right, get on, you know, yeah. and stop. Well, there was, there was um, actually, in San Francisco, there was, was the only place that I've been in the U.S. where... Um, there were very, very large numbers of people getting on the back door, like pretty much everywhere yeah. on the bus. And um, and even, you know, with the, there was a very liberal policy with, with, you know, in terms of the transfers. I mean, you always, you always tell the operators, as a transit agency, you always tell the operators, you know, you don't, you know, you, you ask people to, to pay the fare or whatever, but you don't want to be like arguing with people because that's how fights start and, and assaults and stuff. Um, and it's just not worth it. But it's, you know, I saw it on a, so much, on a much different level where people weren't paying and, uh, but recently they've moved to a proof of payment system, where uh, which I've talked about on, on the show before. I think maybe episode seven or eight. I went into detail about it, which basically is like they, um, you know, even if you don't, you have to pay your fare, and even if you don't get to the fare box or whatever, you you have to have a ticket. Like wherever you pay your fare, you have to have a little a little receipt, and they'll come and do inspections. And if you don't have your receipt, then it's a big big fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they. Uh, I think that's the future for transit. San Francisco is moving to that, which is really promising. Yeah, in uh, in Phoenix, basically, if you're if you're on the train, uh, there's a good chance that you will see a transit official at some point. Um, you don't always see them, but um, just enough to make you think that okay, I have to buy the ticket because yeah. I might get stopped. And there are some tricks, though. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some very yeah. easy tricks to getting around that. For instance, if you are on the train and you have a ticket and it's not, um, it's not validated, um, they oh. they they generally will be like, oh, you know, and they'll write and they'll write on it with sharpie, 
And um, um, not saying that I've ever done this or that I endorse this. Yeah. Um, Hope you don't. <laughs> but also, um, Sharpie can be removed very easily with uh, with yeah. grease board markers. All right, Phoenix Valley. Is it Valley Metro over there? You got uh, to get your act together. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they they actually it, within Tempe. I, I mean, it may be the whole thing now, or it may be different. They actually, um, their security is whack and hut. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I actually never, I made a point of, try, of, of uh, you know, never going into Tempe just because I didn't want to have to face whack and hut. Yeah. I mean, not to, you know, even, you know, if I pay... I still didn't. I don't trust Black and Hot. This is you're saying they're, they're using private security guards, to, you know, a contracted security company to uh, to basically do fair enforcement. Yeah, and saying. I mean, it's not just any. Yeah. You know, it's Black and Hot. Remind <laughs> us what uh, what problem with Black and Hot? Black and Hot is uh, you know they're they're like practically like Blackwater folks. They're really? like okay. wow. yeah, they're pretty tough. They're uh, okay. Like ex military people, yeah. Oh, okay. There's okay. some pretty tough, uh, tough folks, but, um, yeah. Because a lot of translations use police officers because of the way the, the way the codes and everything are written, it's like the, those are the only people that can do it, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, yeah, um, what do you, I mean, and uh, I guess you obviously we've been uh, we've all been talking about Chicago transit, mm-hmm. um, I. I like the L. I think the L is probably my favorite train that I've I've been on. Um, I mean, well, I've been to England, and I think the underground there, the tubes are pretty great yeah. too. Do you like it because it's elevated, or I don't know why I like it. To tell the truth, I mean, yeah, maybe it is because it's elevated, so I get to look out the window and see something. Because that's one thing that's really cool to me. I mean, like New York has some has some elevated sections still. Um, but you know, here it's like pretty much the whole thing is elevated, and it's just—it's mm-hmm. I don't know—it's just sort of a different feel. It just isn't. I guess I haven't been on it when it's been super crowded. Um, so it's just a—it's a different. It feel sucks when it's super crowded. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't <laughs> been on it when it's super crowded. Either. Uh, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, that's the problem with New York subway. You know, the problem with New York subway is just like pretty much crowded all the time. Well, at least it's like. You know, Chicago, New York, like, they're not crowded. They're not so crowded that you need professional, like, peop- uh, pushers. Oh, yes. Like, like you showed <laughs> me that video from uh, Tokyo. Yeah. These people, and, like, they're, they're wearing these uniforms, and they're, literally their job is to push people into a crowded train car to, you know, just to make sure they all get in. And it's it not just, even like it's not even like you know just a little bit like push the backpack in, but it's like you know yeah. you have like you know basically picturing a you know a pack train there's no room and there's like you know I mean five or six or maybe even eight people standing outside the door and like we'll push those people into the train and mm-hmm. like, just and like yeah and then it's like a I mean I guess the way they run the trains in Tokyo it's like very they're very meticulously on time and so they're you know it creates like every every like ten second door delay is like a big problem so they actually have people pushing people in mm-hmm. just. They could just have, you know, rush hour trains run every 10 minutes or 8 minutes or whatever, you know. They're probably running them as frequently as they can. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine doing that unless you're, I mean. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm kind of surprised New York hasn't had to do, deal with that yet. They well, they can have, have people in New York longer trains. Well, yeah, but then you have to do expand the platforms and everything. 
No, yeah, you, you don't. What you got to do is you can you can let's say you you can double the length of the train. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So instead of having these pushers, like so, the first half of the train loads up, then it kind of moves over a little bit, and then the second half loads up. <laughs> I mean, it's the same seven two trains. Um, but I like your idea. I like your creativity. I think one of the things I like about the trains in Phoenix, and I don't know why it isn't like this elsewhere, but they are the roomiest trains. Um, I can sit down <laughs> on a train in Phoenix with my bicycle in front of me and, uh, you know, facing sideways, and someone can sit across from me facing sideways with their bicycle in front of a, in front of them, and there's still room for a wheelchair to go down well, the middle. Which is really, even the cars are really wide. Yeah, they're super wide. Well, I don't know about that, because apparently they're the standard width. Um, but somehow they have more space on the inside. It's bigger on the inside. Bigger on the inside. It's yeah. a TARDIS. <laughs> it's a TARDIS. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna. See, I haven't been to Phoenix, but I was gonna submit to you that maybe it has to do with the fact that it's just probably lower rider, lower ridership because it's a newer system. And um, but maybe to well, I mean, it. it was high ridership on the the days that it opened. You know. Yeah. And I mean, it's still relatively high ridership. But uh, I remember taking my bike on it. Uh, one of the first days it was open and it was packed, and I'm like, "Wow, this is actually reasonable." Yeah, you know, wow. I can I can bring my bike on here; it's no big deal. And they have they have racks um, where you can lift your bike up and hang your bike oh, on yeah, the yeah. rack. Yeah, Minneapolis has that it's really cool. The only problem is sometimes folks won't put them on there quite right; yeah. like they won't put them within this certain like railing area. And it'll fly off and like hit a little girl. I have seen that happen. Um, <laughs> Maybe they need like straps or something. You can like fully, you know, close the wheels. It's not sure. like just a little hook. Well, as long as you put it on right, it, it's not going to fly off. It, yeah. Just people need to learn to put it on right. Also, certain some bikes end up being a little too long for it. Yeah, like a, I was going to think like some bikes are, are different. Like if you have. It's one of those things, just like the bike rack on the front of the bus. It accommodates the very standard bike, but it's mm-hmm. if it's a little long, or if it's like you know, it's got the weird fenders, or if, if it's, it's a low rider, you know, if you got if you have like big bags on the rack. In this case, like you know, you got, you got to take that off and then like, when yeah. you put the bike while you're doing that. It's like I generally ride pretty big bikes, and uh, I've never had an issue with it. Um, I've seen other people who have like longer bikes. Uh, they'll they'll like they'll put it up by the back wheel. And then oh. turn the, the the front wheel yeah. sideways or something like that, so it that fits works. in there better. Um, yeah, that works. I think it's something like an extra cycle or something like yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing is like. I, I think the assumption, at least at least when I had you know my bike trailer, is like you know I would go around with the bike trailer. And my I, my assumption was always that I was never going to take it on the subway or the bus. Like I I probably could if I ever needed to. I probably could you know figure out a way to make it work. But, you know, just knowing it was so complicated to take it apart and to, like, because it's so big and everything, it's just, I guess when you have something like that, you just kind of, transit's not really an option for you. Another thing about the, uh, you know, those slots is people have this, sometimes people have a habit to sit in those areas, and I don't know why, because it is not intended to be a seat. It can be used as a seat, 
It's not intended to be used as a seat. It's not a comfortable right. place to sit. There's no padding on the bottom. There's no backside for you to lean against. Um, and yet people, you know, still will sit there. And it's kind of like you go in and you're like, excuse me, can I put my bike up? And they'll be like, no. And it's like, the hell? Yeah, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. I've, I've, I've often... Uh, I've often <coughs> fantasized about printing off stickers that say area reserved for bicycles, you know, and just like sticking them on there by hand. Well, is it, is it like, so this is a, if I can understand this, it's right next to the door, right? Yeah. And well, it's like, it's, it's the wheelchair area, right? No, 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 no. It's not actually right next to the door. There is a small wall area in between there. Um, it, this is actually the. It's it's kind of a lifted area. The uh, um, imagine if it's steps because that's how sort of, they have to have the engine. And well, it's not a it's not a step no. like that. It's like uh, there's there's an area where there's seats, and then it's as if the seats kept on going, and they didn't put any padding there, and they put the rails and stuff instead. So it's it's at seat height, right. and it's. Uh, yeah, so you lift it up into that area. There's a uh, railing uh, where you stick your bike wheels, um, and it also helps you roll your, your wheel up. And there's a hook where you hang your, uh, your front wheel um, or your back wheel. And, uh, yeah, there, there is also a separate um, wheelchair area, and... I mean, yeah, uh, there's plenty of room right there, too. I mean, if it's a busy trip, I would never try to uh, to hold my bike in that area. But when it's not that busy, I I would often sit there with my bike in front of me, uh-huh. you know, especially if I was just making a, a short trip. Right, right, cool. Yeah, I love the uh, bikes on transit. I don't know where I was living in Boston for a while, and you couldn't uh, take... Actually, where I actually worked on the Green Line, you couldn't. Uh, the Green Line is, is their light rail, um, the busiest light rail in, in North America, and uh, it's yeah, it's just it's just a really old system, it's basically like a European style tram, and mm-hmm. uh, so you got I mean, you get these old, really old light rail cars, and you know they're very limited in the number they can run and the stations and everything, and you can't. It's so crowded, like they, they don't even allow bikes on there ever. It's just like <laughs> you just can't. I, I'm just gonna take this moment to to complain about something that always bothers me. Oh, here it goes. Okay. <laughs> so, I guarantee that I've heard this many times No, before. no, no, no. <laughs> you've never heard this one before. So okay. when Phoenix approved uh, its light rail system, what it actually approved was it approved a, a hanging monorail. And... Uh, so that's what that's what the citizens voted for. They voted for a hanging monorail, oh. <laughs> and what the government gave them was not a hanging monorail. And uh, are you saying it's a bad thing that there's not a monorail? I wish there was a hanging monorail. I, I mean, how amazing Just would that cool be? It was yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a roller coaster, man. As long as you're not trying to argue that a monorail is somehow inherently better no. than no. a monorail, it's not better. It's cooler. <laughs> Yeah, then you're cool. <laughs> well, we're gonna, we're gonna have to do that otherwise in this scenario. You know, I don't know. No, yeah. um... Speaking of roller coasters, one of the, one of the coolest roller coasters I've ever been to... Um, is this I, 
sort of. Well, so I'm thinking, okay, you hang not hanging monorail. So it's like, it's a roller coaster that that hangs. So like you're you're just kind of swinging back and forth, like left to right, as you're moving forward. And it's just that that is amazing because, and then when you're grounding a curb, you know, like the thing just swings off to one side and stuff like that, and then it swings wildly to the other side. A little scary. Yeah, like. Having a public transportation system that did that would be awesome, but it would also probably just make you vomit a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's sort of like to provide uh, for that. It's sort of reminds me of like some of the aerial trams they have. It's like um, I've only taken a couple. I've only taken I think one in public, in actual like public transit, which is the Roosevelt Island tram in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, taking when I used to have money to go skiing, <laughs> you take the uh, you know the lifts that go up and. Um, you know, this thing's like, you can get windy, and this thing's just kind of swing all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it just occurred to me, and I, I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but um, I'm going back to Phoenix in April, and a project that was in process when I left Phoenix um, that should be done by now is they were connecting the, the light rail to a... Um, a light rail type system that that would run within uh, Sky Harbor Airport. So. Oh, okay, sure. But it's not. Yeah, gonna, it's I mean, not gonna it's, be like the same. It's not thing. like an original right. thing, you know. It's. Yeah. But uh, I think that would be really awesome to, to if that project is done when I'm coming out of the airport sure, and I sure. get to take yeah. that, you know. Because yeah. it is one of the larger airports. Not as large as uh, O'Hare, maybe, but yeah. still pretty big. Actually, I haven't made it to either of the airports in Chicago, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to. It's not like a super high priority, but it would be nice to ride the blue line to the end, the orange line. Um, but, yeah, the airport transit is one of those things. It's like everybody, everybody loves it. Um, but you know most people don't use it that often, so it's like you're really just you're trying to. What you really need to do is like build a good system for people who work there, um, which is often not what people who are visiting want. So it's sort of a weird thing. But I think airport transit is, is important because generally you have a lot of people working and, and going there on a daily basis. They just uh, kicked up the price of using uh, using the transit from. Um, from uh, O'Hare. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, so, they raised the price of, right. of uh, using... But there's a temporary there's a temporary uh, moratorium on that because, they, at least from what I was reading, because they they still haven't figured out a way for employees to get to only pay the regular fare. Like, they wanna, basically, they want to charge visitors a higher fare, which makes sense because it's a longer distance and, and whatever. Um, you know, and, and you can get away with it because the other options are so costly, like cabs and parking and whatever. Um, but... You know, people work there, and you can't really do that to them. And apparently, they've never heard of like giving them giving employees a special ID that can get them a transit pass. And apparently, sure. that's never caught their body. Or just make it so it only so that that increased price only like only applies to the 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 one day passes, you know, <laughs> or like the ones you have to keep on reloading instead. Right, okay. Well, if you have a pass, then you wouldn't have to. You would be exempt from it, but uh, well, you could do it. Can't afford a pass. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. what what they do at the, on the BART system on the, in the Bay Area yeah. is uh, that's how they do it. Like each the fare is, is it, like you know, like in Chicago and New York or whatever. Like it's uh, you pay like the standard fare, and you know you 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 walk it through the turnstiles. You paid your fare like two bucks or whatever it is, <coughs> you know. 
And you can go as far as you want for that much money. In Bart, it's the opposite. Like you, I think, I think DC does that too. I don't know. Yeah. So like, you know, you, so you have to, you have to like go through turnstile. You have to put your card through like at the entrance and at the exit. Yeah. So that way it'll, it'll know where, you know. It's a space system. So it charges you based on where you're going. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not strictly distance, but because it's like, it might be some things where it's like, you know, a little cheaper to go farther and some weird thing. But the idea is a distance-based system. Yeah, I mean, Chicago could do that as a way to have a fair hike. Yeah. You know, not that I want them to have a fair hike, but that could be like a thing that they could do. It's actually been um, a bit of a controversy in, in uh, Vancouver. Vancouver is actually installing fair gates on uh, right now their SkyTrain system, and they, they actually don't have... Uh, fair gates at all right now and it was it was designed without the fair gates and they have a proof of payment system right now and uh, so there's a lot of it's like you know the politics of people you know perceived fair vision and people seem, you know, always worry about it um, so that's, that seems to be what's really driving the installation of the fair gates but um, the TransLink staff seems to be really, really excited about getting data because they're going to do a you know they're going to do a tap in tap out thing so you know mm-hmm. they're going to get data, you know, anonymous data on you know, where people are getting on and off and then you can see, you know, if they're tra- which buses they're transferring to, and that sort of thing, which is like sort of revolutionizes revolutionizes uh, transit planning. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of transit money, uh, mm-hmm. at, coming from Arizona, I just wanted to, to <laughs> say this this thing real quick. <laughs> Another one of those, those things. No, yeah. um, basically, Arizona was the only state that was denied. Uh, federal transit funding during um, the uh, well a while back, uh, and the reason for that was because the federal government did not think that the the state's idea of using the money to create a a train that would go from from Arizona uh, from Phoenix to Tucson was a good idea. <laughs> well, I mean. I guess you could debate that, but I mean, it, it definitely was not a good idea. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it's. It, I mean, and of course, the you know the, the, the funding formulas and everything are all, all kinds of fucked up. I mean, <laughs> it's like you know, there's the way they the way that they you know score the, the different criteria. You know, it has to be there has to be the economic benefits, and there's got to be like you know the, the there's the cost benefit analysis, which like it it, it focuses so heavily on like increasing ridership, and gaining new riders, and as sort of. And, and uh, the cost effectiveness, just the way they the way they calculate all these things, it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. Even you to know, a like myself. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. Um, I I don't think it would be a good idea for them to build a a train from Phoenix to Tucson. But I think I definitely would have ridden it. You know, if they had done yeah. it. Um, I mean, what kind of train are we talking about? Are we talking about like high speed rail? Are we talking about like well, you know, Amtrak type thing? I think high-speed rail is what they were discussing. I mean, uh, Phoenix to Tucson is usually uh, about a two-hour drive, and okay. so... Because the thing is with, um, I mean, the thing is with high-speed rail is you really, in order to really be introducing something new that's going to be effective and useful, you really have to be taking away you know, a lot of driving, and especially at air trips. Um, you know, like something like something like uh, San Francisco to LA, or you know, Chicago to St. Louis, New York to Boston, Washington, that kind of thing. Where you're, you know, you got a lot of flights that are going back and forth. It's really unsustainable in a lot of ways, and you know, you can you can really tap into that market 
And you know, right now the train is slower, but it's if you make the train faster, then you know, with the with the air delays and everything else, and the hassle, it just becomes like, okay, we can take you from Union Station to Penn Station, <laughs> whatever, you know, right to downtown mm-hmm. downtown, and easy transfer to transit, the whole deal. Like that's that's what you really need, I think. But if if you only have like a if it's only a two hour drive, it's sort of like um, I don't know how how high speed is it gonna like what's the speed difference really gonna be? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I should follow up on that because Wisconsin had a bunch of high speed rail stuff floating around, and I mm-hmm. mean obviously it's been rejected by Republicans, but short sighted Republicans, which might be redundant. I don't know. Um, I don't know. So cool. All right, I think we're not talking about transit. Nick is gonna go back to taking care of dogs, right? Yep. Alright, well, listen up for a new Vegan Petty Cat podcast coming up pretty soon, I hope. Hopefully, I'm going to try to record something in a few days. So, yeah. Cool. Alright. Alright, thank you guys. It's been fun. Alright. Thanks again for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that and stuck all the way through. Um, You can find out more at vegantravelpodcast.com or find out more about Minku at veganpettycab.com. And uh, if Ian is doing anything on the web, I will put up a link.